Hi, this is Mimi, and welcome to my podcast, The Lovely Becoming. Today's guest is Whitney Goodman, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist based in the Miami, Florida area, and she's a private practice owner as well. I'm so excited for you to listen to this episode, and I hope that you will take the time to leave a review. Um, it's short and sweet, and I'm so grateful for your presence and your time. Hi, Whitney. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's such an honor to have you on the podcast. Um, Tell us about yourself. What do you do? What do you love? So I am a licensed marriage and family therapist in Miami, Florida. Um, I split my time working with individuals and couples, mainly with relationship issues or trauma. Um, And then the rest of my time I spend creating content for Instagram and other social media platforms. And I also do a lot of like courses, webinars, things like that, which I really love doing. Nice. And why did you choose the LMFT route? I was really drawn to the um, systems lens of looking at things. Uh, I always wanted to work with families, couples, Um, people who were in different types of relationships. And I felt like that path was going to give me the best education to get there. Um, And I really like being an LMFT. I I like the lens that they use to think about things. I love that. I think LMFTs are so important, obviously, and not just for the fact of working with multiple people in family settings, but also, like you said, that systemic approach to relationships. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Amazing. And I know you're writing and talking a lot about toxic positivity. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about what that means? Yeah. So toxic positivity is really well-intentioned advice that we may want to integrate or incorporate, but it often comes across as very dismissive, um, not understanding, and really it's denial personified. It can be a form of gaslighting ourselves or someone else. And there's a lot of examples of this, right? Like just be positive. Um, Everything happens for a reason. Don't worry about it. All of these like positive statements that we use when people are struggling. That's really interesting. I think, like you said, it's well-intentioned and people mean the best, um, but they're kind of like, look at the bright side instead of honoring those negative emotions um, and those human emotions really that we all have. Exactly. It's something we use a lot of the time when we're uncomfortable or don't know what to say. And I'm hoping to teach people different ways of doing that that are a little bit more validating and encouraging. And I think that's so therapeutic, honestly, learning to hold space for people, um, but really bringing that therapeutic concept outside of the room is important. Absolutely. Um, kind of jumping gears, switching gears, um, not jumping gears, but um, <laughs> uh, there's been a lot of talk about therapists being political. Um, and I'm curious how you view that, um, because I think their ethics code talks about kind of not imposing your values um, and kind of the past uh, status quo of sorts for therapists is not to get involved. Um, so I'm really curious to hear about why therapy is inherently political. Yeah, so I think when people hear that statement, therapy is political, they assume that the therapist is going to be talking about politics with you or sharing their beliefs. And that's not something that should be happening in the therapy room, right? Like my clients don't need to know my beliefs, but therapy is political in the sense that we work with people 
who are within marginalized communities, who have different identities that may be heavily impacted by the systems that we work within, right? So as therapists, I think we have to be aware and open to discussing how different laws, different leaders, different political parties may impact our individual clients and be willing to have those discussions with them. Um, you can also look at this from like an advocacy perspective that it's important that we advocate for, uh, talk about certain issues that might impact our most marginalized clients so that they feel supported. And I think within all of the ethics codes, like you were saying, there's a lot of discussion about not imposing your beliefs on clients, but also trying to make the world a more equitable, fair, um, empathetic place for all of the people that we work with. Definitely. I really love the way you stated that. And it's important because there is that social justice aspect, especially for social workers, but for therapists in general, um, to be working towards advocating for their clients and their identities for sure. Yeah. And there's so many different ways to do that. Right. And I think you'll see therapists doing that publicly online and also just like in their own personal lives and in the work that they do with clients behind closed doors. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, speaking of imposition of values, um, how do you navigate when you really want to share something or you really, you know, find yourself in a situation where a client maybe says something that is harmful to a marginalized identity um, and kind of hold space for that, but also challenge them? Yeah, so that, of course, does happen, especially lately, I think, in our world where things have become more polarized and there's a lot of opinions floating around that I personally just like to get to know why the client feels that way, how that belief is serving them, um, where they may have learned that, it, rather than coming from a perspective of like, well, you can't think that, or that's wrong, or that hurts somebody trying to understand how did they get to this belief and this understanding um, and how is that impacting them? And I think we can create a lot more change coming from that perspective and realizing that our clients do things all the time that we don't agree with, right? So I'm sure many therapists have had clients who uh, drink and drive or who maybe use substances that they wouldn't. And I think political beliefs and things can kind of fall into this camp of, I don't agree with that. I wouldn't want it in my life, but we have to talk about how it's serving you and what's going on with this individual. Hmm. I like that question about, is it serving you well? Um, and is it effective for you um, in your life? Because I think that gets at the root of a lot of things in your values um, and moving towards those. Exactly. And the more like compassionate and open we are, I think, to learning about the client who may have a discriminatory or problematic in our eyes type of belief, the more they're going to be willing to learn versus coming in very like aggressively and chastising them. I don't, I think that person probably won't come back to therapy. Definitely. And you really want to get at, you know, how did you learn those beliefs and how can I have compassion for you so that you do want to change? Um, and I think that's important as well. Exactly. I agree completely. What inspired you to start your own practice? 
I always wanted to go into private practice. I think from like the day that I started graduate school, um, I really like being a business owner. I like being able to be innovative. I can kind of decide, oh, I want to start a course tomorrow and do it. Um, I also know what clients I'm good at working at and which ones I really suck at helping. <laughs> and so private practice was great for that. I hated how in agency work, I, I had to work with anyone they gave me. <laughs> and even if I knew like, gosh, I am not the right person to help this client, you have to do it. Um, so all of that was really part of me making this decision to move into private practice. And, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. It really fits what I like to do. That's awesome. I think the agency around um, being able to be flexible and figure out what works best for you as well, in addition to the clients, is super helpful and important. Absolutely. Absolutely. You can really create the lifestyle that you want. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give to therapists in training, such as me? <laughs> yeah. So I, I think the advice that I needed to hear is that you really can make this career anything that you want. Um, and not to be afraid to be creative. I got a lot of messages of like, this is the path. This is the most money you can make. Um, and this is where you have to work. And all of that has proven to not be true in my life. Of course, there are barriers and things that you have to overcome. Um, but I really think you can make this career into so many different things versus just clocking in and out, seeing eight clients a day at an agency and like going to bed every night. So don't be afraid to step outside of the box. I love that. And I think you're paving the way for that in a lot of ways um, and different Instagram therapists who are also kind of doing coursework and, and dipping their toes in different things, which is really nice. Yeah, thank you for that. And I really, I love to see what other people are doing. Um, and you can figure out like, do I like, like, I would never really want to host a big, like in-person workshop. I, I don't really like doing that. I prefer to do like a webinar or a course, but some people love doing that kind of stuff. And so able to test out all these different paths and then create the exact type of services that you're good at offering and you enjoy is amazing. I love that. That's so important. Um, and thinking about social media, um, what boundaries do you set specifically around self-disclosure? Um, and how have you seen that change over the years? Yeah, I was actually talking about this um, with my husband yesterday that I never, um, I never talk about other people that have not consented to me disclosing information. So that might even be like my own family members, my spouse, um, of course, my clients that I might gather inspiration from my daily life, but I'll never say like, yesterday I had a fight with so-and-so and this is what happened. That's a really big boundary for me. I think both people need to consent to using that information. Um, so if I disclose something, it's usually pretty benign, like, oh, I went to the beach this weekend or here's my dog, you know, or if it's something that uniquely happened to me. So if I had an anxiety attack, or a panic attack and I wanted to share about that, that's something I might disclose because it's relevant, it only involved me, and there's a way that I could make that useful. If I were to have a panic attack or an anxiety attack, that's something I might share because it happened to me. Um, there's utility to that share 
And I think the reader would find something valuable in it versus sharing something that isn't really applicable to mental health um, or doesn't have any meaning to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really important. And um, I think there's been a little bit of a wave of more vulnerability, especially around the time that Brene Brown started publishing her research. Um, so it's interesting to see how that holds up um, in terms of therapy and kind of keeping yourself boundary from the client, but also like making yourself present in the work as well. Yeah, it's hard to find that balance. And I think it looks different for everybody. Um, and figuring out like, am I being vulnerable just because I want like attention or I think it's what I'm supposed to be doing versus is this a vulnerable share that is going to be useful to somebody? Because ultimately, as clinicians online, we're providing a service. It's not like a diary, you know, unless <laughs> that's what you want to create, then that's fine. But that's not really you being in the role of the therapist. Definitely. Definitely. When did you first know you wanted to be a therapist? Oh, gosh. Um, whenever people ask me this, I wish I had a better story. But I was graduating from college with a bachelor's in sociology, which you can do nothing with. <laughs> um, and so as I was getting to the end of my degree, I was like, I need to do something else. Um, and I knew I always wanted to work with people. I liked helping and all that. So I kind of just started Googling and I found like marriage and family programs and social work programs and thought, this sounds like something I would like to do. I applied and <laughs> then I went to grad school and I've worked as a therapist since. Amazing. I love that. It was very, very fast. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I just started grad school right after undergrad and it's been a whirlwind, but it's yeah, it's nice to get it done while you're young though. And then you can just start the path. Yes, definitely. Um, a kind of fun question. What are your favorite foods? I love pizza mm -hmm. and sushi <laughs> is probably also tied for, for first place. Yes. I love sushi so much. <laughs> Very good. Yes. Um, and a little bit of a question I ask everybody on the podcast. Um, how are you becoming? I saw this question and I loved it. And I think I'm, I'm always like becoming something else. Um, I'm about to give birth to my first child next wow. month. So, yeah. So I think, um, I'm like becoming, I guess, a mother and all these different identities. And I, I like to think that I'm always changing and growing into something else. I love that. And congratulations. That's so exciting. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite pregnant right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for your time and for answering my questions and for the work that you do in general. Of course. Thank you again for having me. Yeah.